0: welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of pastor immanuel Iren, lead pastor of celebration church international it is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith ready set grow we're going to go through the word of god The reason this is important is because you have to understand we are fundamentally a training ministry. We are fundamentally what? And so you have to understand that every other thing we do is supposed to highlight the core of our ministry. Jesus sent us to go into all the world. This is why I traveled here. Are you listening to me? I traveled here because Jesus said, Go into all the world. He said to make disciples. So I didn't come here to have a nice program. I came to raise disciples. And there is only one way to raise disciples by teaching. He says, Teach them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. So listen, a ministry is truly as great as its teaching. What is the teaching ministry of that church? That's how you know. Thank God for numbers. Thank God for great cathedrals. But a ministry is as great as its product, and its products will be people, not merch. Thank God for nice shirts with nice writings, but the real product of every ministry will be its people. And so I want to share on something that I think is going to bless you. The title of my charge is, Who is Jesus and Who Are You? Who is Jesus and who are you? And you will see the correlation very quickly from this text. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Listen, so again, the topic is who is Jesus? And who are you? So Jesus wants to know the revelation that you have of him. I mean, I know you know him, but what specifically do you know about him? Oh, you fear him. Guess what? The Bible says in the book of James, even demons tremble and fear. So that's not enough. Every religion in the world acknowledges Jesus. Some even go so far as to acknowledge that he's a great prophet and would take extra caution that even many Christians wouldn't take. Before they mention his name, they would say, peace be upon him. You know, so they're cautious and in their own way, they think they honor him. But is that enough? Mahatma Gandhi said he likes Jesus and he loves the teachings of Jesus and that if the teachings of Jesus were adopted in the world. The world would be a better place. But was that enough? Who is Jesus? They responded. They said, some say that you are John the Baptist. Ridiculous. You see, there are different dimensions of revelation. Because, Listen, I can understand you thinking Jesus is Elias, Elijah. But you see, John the Baptist was Jesus' relative, and they lived in the same era how could you have thought that Jesus is John? I, I don't understand. That's some deep nonsense. Is <laughs> a "Some say you are Elias. Others say you are Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And one of them by revelation said, You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus immediately responded and said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. And then he responded immediately again. He says, And I say to you, you are Peter. By the revelation of Jesus, we come to a self-awareness of ourselves. Did you hear what I said? Immediately, Jesus was identified by revelation by Peter. Peter. Peter came to a new dimension of self-awareness. The moment Peter was able to identify and say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus then said, I say to you, you are Peter. Are you aware that this is the testimony of all of us? There is a level of self-awareness, a level of discovery of purpose that you will not touch until you know the Lord. Until you come to know Jesus, you will never truly know yourself. The moment he said... I know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then said, and you are Peter. There is an identity you will only find in God. Oh my God, this is simple and powerful. I said there is an identity that you will only find in God because he's the center of your life. You know what Paul said? He says, in him we live and move and have our being. Listen, think about that. In him we live. He is my expression. He's my identity. He's my life. You know, he said to the church at Colossae, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, he's your life. You know, when I try to cast my mind back, it's hard to remember anything significant before I got filled with the Spirit. It was almost literally like when I encountered God and His Spirit, I started to live. I, I mean, I cannot remember, I mean, except if I try, my first memory is conversion. And I have a great memory. I can tell you things that happened, you know, in my childhood, and, you know, I have an extraordinary gift in that regard. For some reason, my memory, the memory of my childhood is just etched. I can tell you almost hour by hour, everything that happened on my fifth birthday is, is weird, but verifiable. The people who gave me gifts and the people who did not. (laughs) It's not beef. It's not beef, you know. (laughs) Where I slept the night before, I remember. Everything. One young man who was trying to impress my auntie was trying to ask her out. So I was on my own. Five-year-old boy. He promised me a gift. Now I, I've forgiven him, but I remember him very well. <laughs> Hallelujah. So for that kind of memory, it's not as if I have amnesia. When I tell you it's hard to recollect anything significant before Christ. Because in him I live. Say, in, say in him I live. In him I, live. In, him I move, in him I move. And in him I have my being. But he said, you see, I said that to say this. Christian identification is important. Two things you must know who God is and who you are in Him. Paul prayed earnestly that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded with light to know the hope of His calling, the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of His power, us, world who believe. He prayed that he would know. So you just must know. And you see, one simple way to start is by answering this simple question, what has God called us? What has God called us? Did the Bible not say that he said that we may boldly say? Meaning, oh my God, we are supposed to say back to God what he has said about us. So what has God called us? You see, because the, the most common phrase or term used to describe us in this day and age is Christians. And that's nice. That's okay. But you need to understand that properly. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Oh my God. Miracles are going to happen today. You see, it, it doesn't really matter what the devil has done. Like I would often say, someone did it, someone can undo it. <laughs> It says, when the devil comes, a strong man comes, he keeps his spoils. But when a stronger man than he comes, see, it doesn't matter the level of oppression. There is a stronger man. The man in Christ is the stronger man. <laughs> I think it was in 2012, a lady came to our church. And you know, some people are so overwhelmed by their challenges, they no longer even tell pastors. So her friend came to me and said, you need to pray for my friend. She has this and this and this challenge. I came to her I said, why didn't you tell me? Can I pray for you? She said, well, I've gone to almost every church and nothing happened. So I mean, just to placate her, I said, can I try? (laughs) She had been tormented by marine spirits. So I laid hands on her and immediately she fell into a trance. And she saw herself by the water side, which happens every night. But this time around, her friends were in a canoe paddling away very fast. And saying, go away. Leave us alone. Go away. <laughs> they were running away. And so she happened, opened her eyes and I said, so what happened? <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't you understand? He has given us a name above every name. The Bible says, at the name of Jesus, every name will." Be. It's not just... In people today, we will say some things that will shake this city. We will say some things that will make satanic activities difficult for the devil. You know, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. <laughs> Just by his presence and ministry, Satan fell in the city. Oh my God. We will keep Satan under his feet, under our feet where he belongs. Amen, in the name of Jesus. So listen, look at Acts chapter 11 verse 26. The last part of it says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Listen, you have to understand, I have mixed feelings about the terminology Christian and I will explain it to you. A lot of people don't know that historically, the word Christian was actually a derogatory term. It was a derogatory term used by unbelievers to mock us. It was a derogatory term. It wasn't a compliment. But the reason I like it is because we owned it. You can't mock us for being followers of Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can't mock us. So we slapped the label on our forehead. Yes, we are Christians. We follow him and we're not ashamed. But listen, you have to understand that the terminology was not a revelation. It was an observation. That these ones follow Christ. So, they are Christians, followers of Christ. It was not a revelation. This is what the people in Antioch called us. That's not what God called us. God never called you Christian, God called you in Christ. There is a difference. Listen, this is what people try to explain with the doctrine of baptism that when Christ died, you were immersed in Christ and so you died. And when Christ was buried, you were buried. And when Christ was raised, you were raised. That's why the Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's why his resurrection benefited you, because you are in Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you are deeper than just a follower. You are in Christ. Because the name Christian describes a lifestyle. We behave like Christ. Listen, Christianity is more than behavioral modification. Listen, there is a difference between... A lifestyle and a life. Faith in Christ comes with a life. You've received the life of Christ. Not just a lifestyle. Even though the life produces a lifestyle, you have received the life of Christ. That's deeper. And if you don't understand this, it will birth a lot of confusion because if you reduce Christianity to behavior, that's why they will say there are many ways to God because you teach Morality all other religions do it too they teach how to be nice they teach so they think that because they are also nice we all have the same way meanwhile christianity can be total opposite of that that an angel appears to Cornelius who was a pious man who gave alms you couldn't fault him when it came to behavior but he still needed to be saved because salvation is the total opposite The salvation tells you that your works will never be enough. Not of works lest any man should boast. So you see, the emphasis is not the behavior. The emphasis is the life. Even if the life produces a behavior. It is not mere semantics. You must understand this. It's it's a life. And you see, so what are the terminologies that were used for us? So many other things were used to describe us. We're called people of the way. We are called sheep. We are called ambassadors. We are told to fight like soldiers, run like athletes. So many things were used to describe us. But then there is a more common terminology used to describe us. The most common terminology used to describe us in the Bible. Used 130 times. But yet, almost nobody uses it today. And I want to share that with you because it's a powerful revelation. Come on, are you ready? The reason that word is not obvious is because the word is stigmatized in our generation. I will tell you what the word is, but just listen to me. The word is so stigmatized in our generation, the translators had to veil it. And so instead of the direct translation of that word, they translated the word servant. The Greek word D-O-D-U-O-L-O-S was translated servant. And, and that's powerful. We are servants of God. That's where you have the term servant of God. He's a servant of God. That's big in and of itself. But the real word is more serious than that. There are six Greek words translated servant, and none of them is doulos. Greek words like Pius, all right. I just want to just take this notes. Pious is spelled P A I S. It means servant. Another one some of you might have heard before. Diaconus. Translated deacons because you serve in church. So in that sense, you, you, you're a servant of God. So diaconus. D-I-A-K-O-N-O-S. Oiketes. Oiketes. From Oikia which means house. So, Oiketes describes house servant. O-I-K-E-T-E-S. Superates. Listen, anyway, this is not just theology class. I'm not just trying to throw Greek words at you. All I'm saying is there are six Greek words, not just in the Bible, but in Greek language, used to describe servant, and doulos is not one of them. Please, are you with me? Yet, Dulos was translated servants. And you see that listen, almost every prominent minister of the gospel in the New Testament was called Dulos. Paul introduced himself as the bond servant of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. In fact, the terminology bond servant should give you an, ex- an an expose on what that term really means. What does bond mean? All right, I'm coming to that. In Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, he used the terminology for both himself and Timothy, bond servants. In Titus chapter 1, he used the terminology for himself again and for Titus as well. He used the term, terminology, it was used for Jude, it was used for Epaphras. Dolos. What does dolos mean? Dolos means slave. Are you listening to me? Dolos means slave. You were called slave of Christ more than you were called Christian in the Bible. <laughs> so now, the reason. The translators did not translate it that way. is because the terminology slave has been stigmatized. Even though it means different, the contexts are different. When God calls you slave, it is not the same thing that comes to mind when you think of modern day slavery. But because the translators wanted to avoid that quagmire. In a sensitive generation where people are rightly having a revolution against slavery. And they are being introduced to christianity and they now say slave so the translators played the first one they didn't lie they used synonyms that don't just paint the picture as perfectly and so they used bond servants Body does not mean bond servants and just in case some people are asking let me first and foremost differentiate bible slavery from modern day slavery the first thing you need to know is this number one Some people, their go-to argument is that some so-called Christians were part of the slave trade movement. And let me say this. The Bible and the Word of God is so objective that it doesn't matter how many people are misbehaving. The Word of God tells us what is true. So it doesn't matter who labels themselves Christian. If they act in a certain way, we can tell. That they were not acting Christ-like. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's not the the conviction of the Bible. They are bad examples. And every great movement has bad examples. So you don't judge Christianity by that. All the so-called Christians who had any part in slavery were wrong. Let God be true, and all men liars. Say loud, amen. amen. And by the way, the part that a lot of people leave out conveniently is that most of the famous abolitionists who fought against slavery were Christians. Not only were they Christians, they fought against slavery because from the revelation of the word of God, they believed in the quality of all men, that all mankind are created in the image of God, imagode. And it was from that revelation that they fought against slavery. But a lot of people forget that. What are the marks of modern day slavery so that we can begin to differentiate? Number one, modern day slavery was was marked by kidnapping, right? Kidnapping. So they come into a country and they kidnap. By the way, they came into countries. They kidnapped the strongest and smartest. So if your dad was left behind, <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. No, have, I'm giving you the response. Next time they ask you why are you not doing well in school, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. Anyway, I'm joking. You can tell when I'm joking, right? I hope you can. Number one, it involved kidnapping. Number two, it was based on racial discrimination. You know, it's especially important. I'm teaching this in the United Kingdom. We have history. It was based on racial discrimination. Number two, you see it in all the movies. The women could, could be raped. That's number three, right? Number four, slaves were held in shackles and overworked. And number five, slaves were treated like they were less than human. Number six, slaves who tried to escape were killed. Kinte, right? But now, let's quickly look into the Bible. What did the Bible say about kidnapping? Look at Exodus chapter 21 verse 6. 16, I beg your pardon. 21 verse 16. 16. All right, everybody read together. One, two, go. He who kidnaps a man and sells him or if he is found in his hand, he shall be put to death. This was so abominable, it commanded death sentence. If you kidnap a human being and sell, or even if you are just the middleman and they catch the person with you, death, listen, the Bible was firm against this. Come on, are you with me? So that's something you must bear in mind. So even a transporter will be in trouble. So serious. A transporter will be in trouble. If you employed a slave that was kidnapped, you will be killed. Just employing. You didn't do it, but you employed. What does the Bible say about racial discrimination? Look at Leviticus chapter 19, verse 33 and 34. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. He says, and if a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. Everybody read this together, one, two, go. Verse 34, one, two, go. The stranger who dwells amongst you shall be to you as one born among you. Look look at that. Listen, anyone who thinks of modern slavery and thinks that the Bible endorses that does not know the Bible. He says, any stranger amongst you will be treated as a citizen. He will be treated as a citizen. He says, and you shall love him as yourself. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Oh my God. He says, listen, I punished Egypt for treating you like that. Make sure you don't do the same. This is personal to God. The same way I punished the Egyptians for treating you that way, ensure you never treat a stranger that same way. He says, remember, you were strangers in Egypt. The Bible was firm against kidnapping, against racial discrimination, and against rape. Deuteronomy 22, verse 25. Deuteronomy 22, verse 25. He says, but if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed, and the man seizes her and lies with her, he says, The man who lay with her shall die. Death sentence under the law. Under any guise, whether the woman was born or free, if you rape her, you will be killed. Under the law of Moses. Come on, are you with me? It attracted death penalty. So, the question now is, what then did the Bible call slavery? If the Bible doesn't support racial discrimination, the Bible doesn't support kidnapping, the Bible doesn't support rape, how then were they slaves in the Bible? Very simple. And listen, I am not saying... Listen, by the way, oh my God, the ultimate response to this is that Even Jesus corrected some things in the law. Do you understand? Jesus came and said, you have heard that it has been said, but I say unto you. So Jesus is the perfect image of God, right? Uh So um, Moses was a man of God, but but a man. But even under the law, you you, you can see some sense. I'm not saying these things should be practiced today and all these things are subjective, but think about it. When you owed money, in the Bible days, and you couldn't pay back, you became a debt slave. Do you understand that? And if you owe money today, you, you are thrown in prison. And then the, the, the state will begin to feed you. <laughs> so it, it's, it can be argued which one you prefer. And in some shape or form, it is still being practiced today. If you go to a restaurant, you eat, and you don't pay, back home, you'll be introduced to servitude. And that's what slavery was, servitude. You will wash plates until your money has been paid. Until the owner of the restaurant sees the travail of your soul and is satisfied. Another thing that can make a person a slave is stealing, was stealing. So the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 22, from verse 1 to 3, it says, if a man steals an ox or a sheep, he shall repay five oxen for an ox. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. Sold for his theft. So this, this, was, this, was, this was the order of the day. Now, another thing that could cause slavery was poverty. So a poor person could surrender himself, volunteer himself. <laughs> now, you, you think that's harsh, but well, wait till I <laughs> willfully surrender himself, it, so it was a welfare program. Can I tell you something? <laughs> Laugh, but Listen. What I'm about to say is controversial, but all of you can relate to it in some shape or form. One of the low-key, most helpful things that has happened in Nigeria, and it's sensitive; it has its abuses, but it has been very helpful, is this concept of house girl and house boy, where you bring in something to someone to your house in exchange for training them they do some house chores for you. Many people have gained exposure, have had a fairer chance at life because of that. Some of you know what I'm saying. In my house, there was no such person that was not sent to school, to university level. To university level. That was the type of house I grew up in, you know. Um, and I, I can tell you of, about many stories like that. There was there's, there's a woman, close family friend, had a driver. You couldn't tell if he was driver or relative. He was like an uncle to the children. When he was going to get married, they organized the wedding for him, paid for everything, gave him gifts, set him up, and he was still a driver. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, unfortunately, the name slavery attaches, you know, a lot of emotions and a lot of... But when you look at the Bible's definition and description, it is totally free. Let me tell you something. Some of you who work, you don't have some of the privileges that Jewish slaves had. Can I prove it to you? Can I prove it to you? <laughs> Hallelujah. So listen, slavery was like apprenticeship. Uh, look, at, look at Deuteronomy fifteen eleven. Look at Deuteronomy 15, 11. This is important. And I, listen, we're still going to pray for everybody, so we need to be fast here. Deuteronomy 15, 11 to 15. It says, for there will not cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother to the needy and to the poor in your land. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he says he shall serve you six years. In the seventh year, you shall let him go. So it was an apprenticeship, not more than seven years. Seven years, seven years, you shall let him go. And when you let him go free from you, he shall not go empty-handed. Come on, are you saying this? He shall not go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally. You shall furnish him how? So this is, this is akin to what the Ebos do, where we come from. You, you do an apprenticeship and you gain freedom, Right? That's what it, that was what was called slavery here. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress. It says, as the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give him, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this this day. So it was a command. Because I saved you from Egypt when you were a slave, you must treat slaves well. Let them go with plenty. Bible slaves had rights. I mean, a modern slave with rights? Slaves in those days had one day off every week. Some of you can't boast of that. Ah, uh, uh, is it not true? Some of you can't boast of that. Exodus 23 verse 12, six days you shall walk, but on the seventh day you shall rest. It says that your ox, your donkey, and the son of the servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Don't kill them because they are working for you. Let them be refreshed. Come on, are you seeing this? apart from once a week, they had special holidays. Oh, yes. (laughs) Leviticus 23, 26 to 28. Now, on the 10th day of the 7th month is the day of atonement. It shall be to you a time of holy convocation, and you shall afflict yourself and present a food offering to the Lord, and you shall do not any work on that day for it is a day of atonement, and it, 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 it applied to slaves as well. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, from verse 17 to 19. Oh, my God. After this, I'll share just one more. It says, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, mighty and terrible, which regarded not persons. Do you understand what I'm saying? God, there is no respect of persons with God. He doesn't treat people better because they are rich. There's no respect of persons with God. He says, he doth execute judgment of the fatherless and widows And loves strangers, loves slaves in giving them food and raiment. So he's introducing himself, father of the fatherless, husband of widows, God of strangers, God of slaves. He's introducing himself. He says, love ye therefore the stranger. Colossians 4.1 Masters, give your servants that which is just and equal. Imagine equality. What is just and equal? Knowing that you have a master in heaven. Meaning God is watching. Come on, are you getting this? Now, when I say they have rights, this is the last text I'm going to read and then um, we'll move on. Look at Exodus chapter 21 from verse 26 to 27. Exodus 21, 26. It says, If a man smites the eye of his servant or the eye of his mate, made that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. You see that? If you ever get into a fight and get them injured, that's the end of the employment. Is that clear or not? So, I mean, how is this anywhere close to modern day slavery? If you cannot beat them you can't injure them so when you see slavery in the Bible and you think Kunta Kinte, you're very wrong if you smite them and you injure them the money is gone the employment is gone the investment is gone look at verse 20 If a man smites a servant, or is made with a rod, and he die under his hand, he shall surely be punished. He shall sh- and by punished, they meant capital punishment. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, referred also to slaves. was applicable also to slaves under the law of Moses. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out of the way so that you can understand this. Now, having said all of that, just in case no one read you the MO, I want you to know that as a child of God, you are both son and slave. You are, both, you are a bond servant of Christ. And this was a title that the apostles wore like a badge of pride. They used it to commend themselves, to to introduce themselves. I, Paul, born servant of Christ. Born slave. Slave of Christ. And what are the similarities? Number one, you were bought with a price. Come on, are you with me? So you moved. And that's why Jesus said... If is any heavy laden, follow me. All you are burdened and heavy laden. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke. So, in salvation, you exchange yokes. But the difference is, he said, my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So, there is a delightful servitude. Ah, oh, my God. Delightful servitude. Just the same way you apply for jobs because you believe that the employer has your best interest. In most instances, I don't know your experience, but in most (laughs) instances, there are still good employers out there. What are you people going through in this country? (laughs) Everybody's like, (laughs) hmm? You're going through a loss. Well, why are you here? <laughs> Please lie down your greener pastures and allow me preach. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you were bought with a price. Oh my God, say I was bought with a price. Oh my God. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. A text that you know, but maybe never really dawned on you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and that you are not your own? Oh my God. You are not your own. Say, I am not my own. own. Oh my God. You see, a lot of Christians don't know this. When when you don't know this, what will raise irresponsible Christians? Even in your prayer, you tell God what you want to do, you you don't understand consecration. You are not your own. You cannot just stand up, do what you want. You must always ask. You are not your own. You see, in elementary Christianity, you, just, you were just told that Jesus died for you, and you feel special, and you are. That, oh, he died for me. He paid a high price. You are therefore not your own. That's, that's, that's the JD. Come on, are you with me? So, the next verse says, you were bought with a price. Therefore, oh my God. Meaning, as a result of the price that was paid. This is how you must live your life. It says, therefore, glorify God in your mortal body. And in your spirit, which are God's. Meaning, God owns your body and your spirits, Which are God's, both of them. Come on, are you with me? You belong to God, now you exist for him. The second thing you must know about being a slave of God is that your ultimate goal has become to please God. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. And this doesn't apply to ministers of the gospel alone, it applies to everyone. Galatians 1 10. It says, For do I now persuade men or God? I mean, so some of you, the way you react when some people don't like you, you you don't get it. You see, that's what I was trying to explain to someone. You know, immediately after the afternoon session, someone came to me. Because I told you yesterday, it doesn't matter the country you are in. God's laws remains God's laws. It doesn't matter how cohabitation is, how popular it is. That's not the law of God. Simple. And someone came to me and said, so how do you now Tell your friends that we're not, without not seeming religious. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Don't laugh at the question. It's an important question. It's an important question. But amongst everything I have to say about that, he says, do I seek to please men? He says, if I yet pleased men, I should not be a slave of Christ. You, you don't understand. That's why I, I'm telling you, the word Christian, you, you, you don't get gravity. You don't get the gravity. You, don't, you think a slave will care what another master thinks? Are you getting it now? Master said this. Now you're getting a better understanding when the Bible calls Jesus Lord. He's Lord, meaning his rules are not subject to negotiation. Come on, are you with me? And here here is something I can tell you. Oh, my God. God can be trusted. He loves you more than you can ever love yourself. He does. He does. He loves you more than you can ever love yourself. he can be trusted. Trust him with your life. I'm going to round off with a popular text and then we pray. Come on, are you ready? <laughs> Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 15. And don't you ever forget this for the rest of your life. 2 Corinthians 5:15 because some people elementary believers know John 3:16. But they don't know the implication of John 3:16. God places on you a, a sense of responsibility having received the generous gift of Christ as explained in John 16. Second Corinthians 5.15, everybody read together, one, two, go. Before, to to Maybe all oh, your Christian journey, you were just told oh, he died for you. And you thought that was sweet, romantic? You know, some people call God pet names, sweet names. Well, I don't have so much of a problem with that. Emphasis on so much. (laughs) But listen, the sacrifice bestows on you a responsibility. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth. I like to put it this way. Every true Christian has experienced a henceforth moment, a definite time in your life where you came to the realization you can no longer live for yourself. I was bought with a price. Therefore, I must glorify God with my mortal body. Listen, you know, one of the first things God said to me when I started hearing him, he says, children are the responsibility of the kingdom, but sons are responsible for the kingdom. Meaning when you're growing up in a house as a toddler, you wake up in the morning, your parents are the ones who are concerned about bathing you, feeding you. You don't have to think about all those things. They do it for you. But when you come to maturity, you don't say, Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy says, go into the kitchen and fix yourself something. As a toddler, you make a spill, you play with toys, you litter it all over the place, and mommy will come patiently and clean it up. But as an adult in a house you wake up and you're the one responsible for cleaning some of you know what i'm saying you're going to take a broom and you're going to sweep some yes because children are the responsibility of the kingdom but sons are responsible for the kingdom there is a consumer mentality in the church today that is producing weak believers Coming to church only focused on what God can do for you. You've never asked yourself one day, How can I contribute? What can I do for the kingdom? How can I be a blessing? You've never asked yourself. You don't even know how the speakers are set up, how the microphone works. And you come respectfully, so entitled, you are even judging that person, that singer is not singing well. It's <laughs> flat, E flat. May angel not give you flat slab. (laughs) It's not angels that set up. What are you doing for God and that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth? You can't keep living for yourself. Living for your pockets. Reassess your priorities. You must live for he who died for you and rose again. And then you come to Verse 17, a popular text, but pop, common, commonly misunderstood. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Listen, oh my God. This text was not actually talking about new birth, even though it can be applied to new birth. It was talking about ministry. The fact that in Christ, your priorities are realigned. That's what he was saying. So, when it says, all things are passed away, I know the old man is passed away, but that's not what he was saying. What was he saying? Look at the context, verse 18. He says, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and given you the ministry. He's talking about ministry. Not just new birth, but ministry. So, what is all things that are passed away? Old, selfish priorities. You just wake up, "Mm, where do I go? Jack, you know? I'm not saying that's what you did, though. But if you did it, (laughs) do you understand what I'm saying? There are some statements you you cannot make anymore. I don't want to. I cannot marry a pastor. We don't want to marry you. It's not. It's not personal. (laughs) We two. We don't want. (laughs) We two. <laughs> I don't want to marry a pastor. Ah, thank God, though. <laughs> so, listen, I'm saying respectfully: your priority is now. What does God want? <laughs> don't dwell on that. I, I was joking. No, I'm not. But <laughs> what does God want? What does God want to do with my life? All thing, he says, all things are of God who reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, when God expl- helped me understand this years ago, it shook the core recesses of my being. And listen to me. He's telling you that you are as responsible for the salvation agenda as Christ was it says God was in Christ providing reconciliation. Now, God is in you announcing reconciliation. His job was to provide it by redemption. Your job is to announce it by evangelism. Jesus did it. You must tell it. I take it again. Jesus did it. You must tell it. So listen, ministry is no longer the prerogative of some people you know, who are extra zealous, who just love God more than the average person, you are either living for God or you are in disobedience because you are a slave. You, you don't, What I'm telling you is not an option. It's not a choice. If you are not doing it, you are in disobedience. Listen, this is the part of the package. Oh my God. The next verse says, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed to us. The word of reconciliation. So, God started it in Christ. Reconciling the world, not imputing their trespasses. And then now, he has committed to us. So, meaning we continue where Christ stopped. Do you understand what I'm saying? He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He committed to, the, to Christ the provision of reconciliation. He has given to you the message. This message, you have a job. Never again say you don't know your purpose in life. I just told you. This is your purpose. This is why you are alive. If you are still doubting, Paul simplified it for me. To live is Christ. He didn't even say the purpose for my life. That's too long. As far to live, Christ to die, gain. Come on, are you with me? He says, "Hi," in verse twenty. Oh, this is so powerful. He says, now then, meaning in view of all these things. This is is our conviction, having understood all that was previously explained. Now then, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. I am just a courier, an extension of Christ's ministry on the earth. Meaning if Christ was on the earth, his priority would be my priority. I am an ambassador for Christ as though God did God beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's dead. Now we have the privilege to stand where Christ stood. We pray you in Christ's dead be reconciled to God. Listen, my entire life and ministry is a prayer. Beseeching men, be reconciled to God. That's the ministry of my life. And in some way, shape, or form, you must be contributing to this agenda. Not everyone will hold a mic to sing or to preach, but you must be able to tell unequivocally what you are doing for God. And listen, giving generously is a first step, but it's not enough. What do you do for God? You can answer that question, what do you do for yourself? What do you do for God? How are you contributing? If they remove your contribution from the body of Christ, what will shake? If you like, follow me and sing. You and I will change the world. <laughs> I'm not shading you. <laughs> but as you sing it, make sure you leave it. You, indeed, you can change the world for Jesus. There are things you can do. And if it is in your heart, God will give you the ideas. Start thinking, how can I advance the course? Now, you are in this church, you are in the UK. God's word is clear. It, what God is said to do in the UK is visible to the blind, audible to the deaf. Th- this church is not yet two years old. This is, this is a move of There is no other way to explain it. The fact that this is my first time here. And such a move is happening. So now, the question you must ask yourself is, how then can I contribute? So, it is not an option. I'm a slave of Christ. Christ is doing something. I must be a part of it. I must be a part of it. God are the days, you know, some people, you know, their definition of piety is, they say, come and help us do something. You think it's humble for you to excuse yourself. And be crying, no, I cannot do it. What do you mean? What do you mean? That's false humility. Stop that. Stop that already. To whom much is given, much is required. If they think you can do something in a church, they, they are begging you. We think you can do this. Volunteer yourself. Make yourself available. Please, are you with me? Jesus. Make yourself available for God. Do your best. Listen, God cares about every aspect of your life. We don't want vagabonds. I'm sorry to say, you get what I'm saying? Like, do well in your career. I, I like to pastor people who are balanced. You know, something, some, our current CEO reminded me of something and it changed my life. You know, when she joined our church, she was so blessed by the teachings. So, in... Um, I think this was about 2013 or 14. She said, I want to quit my job. I want to come and walk. I said, ma. <laughs> 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 I said, Mm-mm. don't quit. Walk first. By the way, I know your gift, you can still do a lot on the side. So walk first when the time is right. When she told her mom that, she said, ah, now I know that your, your pastor is very wise and that is a man of God. So we're not, we not trying to take advantage of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? And by the way, God is raising Daniels who are relevant on, in two spheres and in two worlds. You have political and career influence and you can still point to your contribution in the kingdom. That's, that's the kind of... In fact, those are the kind of people that God raised in the end time. Listen... If you study the Bible, you see that something slightly has changed. Because in the incarnation, when Jesus was born, the religious people were the elites. So for God to prove that he didn't need elite people to do it, he made sure his son was born in a manger. Born to the family of a carpenter. He made sure he picked fishermen. After he had proven his point, you know, it's true. He it says, Paul, even says, You behold your call, how that not many noble, not many wise, according to the flesh, are called. However, never negate or undermine the, the, the importance of influence. The Ethiopian eunuch, a treasurer of an important queen, but he loved the Lord. Reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53. And then God had to send a man of God to explain it more excellently to him. So the first missionary to Africa was not a pastor. He was an accountant. Are you listening to me? (laughs) Are you aware that that was the first missionary? By the way, the people who said that it was um, slave traders that brought the gospel is a lie. The Ethiopian eunuch was the first missionary to Africa. And so the oldest form of Christianity in Africa is in Ethiopia. It's a fact till date. What about Cornelius, a very important person in the army, but he loved Jesus. What about Luke, a medical doctor, he loved Jesus. So as he's doing his medical research, he was also researching about the early ministry of Jesus and he could write the book of Luke. He said, having had perfect understanding of all things. So you can make sure that the only thing you understand is not Ameba. You can understand Christ. You can help the church. And in fact, your influence can benefit the church. Because when Jesus is hanging on the cross, none of the disciples as loyal as they are have the influence to bring him down. It was a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a man of influence. Come on, are you with me? He was able to use his influence. Now, that simple contribution did a lot. Because based on Jesus' earthly economic strength, he would have been buried, you know, like a poor man. They would just dig the floor and throw him there. And it would have been very difficult to prove that he rose again. They say, ah, you forgot where you buried him. (laughs) That's what they would have said. But the fact that it was a tomb, buried in the tomb of the rich, it was easy to say, we put him here. The stone rolled away. He's not there anymore. So just that simple piece... Just that simple piece by a man of influence. Are you getting what I'm saying? The Lord is going to use you mightily. (laughs) So listen, as we pray now, there is one condition for every miracle that will happen now. You will use it for the Lord. So if you're going to be healed, the promise is as you get healthier, you're going to use your strength for Jesus. Not just for aesthetics. You're going to use it for Jesus. And Esther in the palace must recognize God put her there for such a time as this. There's a grace of my life, a grace for extraordinary favor. If I, see, you know what? Someone met me in the airport in America and he knelt. He said, I've noticed that the people close to you are prospering. He said, by observation, nobody told him. He started mentioning some names. He said, I want it. I said, You know, because I don't say it. I want to say, with all sense of humility, if I call you blessed, you are blessed. You will carry something heavy today. I'm telling you, this city is about to open up to you in a new way. By the favor, it will be as if you just came. Doors that have been shut are open to you. You will do big things and they will not be difficult. Hey, do the impossible. See the invisible. The anointing is on you strong. Limitations are broken. In the mighty name of Jesus...